people when they go to developing nations are really worried about yellow fever and Japanese encephalitis. But still, statistically, the number one thing you're going to catch when you're traveling to developing nations, especially south of the equator, is actually the flu. Dr. Jonathan Bakhtari. You can see it. I mean, it's crystal clear. I think it's going to really revolutionize things. Which is a big game changer. All information discussed or provided by Jonathan Bakhtari, MD, Dr. Bakhtari, and or his affiliates and guests are for educational purposes only. The information discussed and provided is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health providers with any questions you may have regarding a medical concern or condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of any information discussed or provided by Dr. Bakhtari or his affiliates and guests. If you think you may have a medical emergency, call 911 immediately. Hi, welcome to another episode episode of Bakhtari MD. And today what I want to talk to you about is travel medicine. You know, so funny because uh, I was practicing medicine for many, many years and travel medicine was something that even I, as someone who's uh, was board certified in internal medicine and practiced in pulmonary and critical care, I didn't know what travel medicine was really because even primary care doctors are not exposed to travel medicine formally in most trainings. And there are really some, some don't even know that it exists. I think the most common theme thing when you go see your primary care doctor and you say, Hey, I'm going to a developing nation. I'm going to Africa or somewhere in South America. The advice they give you, Oh, just be careful and don't drink the water. You know, that really is not travel medicine. And I think part of it is getting education out there, both, uh, for the general public who travel. Uh, to uh, developing nations as as well as uh, primary care doctors who either have to sort of acquire those skills on how to treat patients with travel medicine um, as well as refer them out to a travel medicine expert. So I think even letting people know that there are travel medicine clinics and travel medicine experts is probably part of the struggle. I think there are many, many people who don't know uh, that travel medicine exists. I think they don't understand the Center for Disease Control and other healthcare specialists recommend you see a travel medicine expert before you go to many countries around the world. There is many uh, things that have to be done in a travel medicine consult, and I'm going to go over that. So my goal today is to educate you and even physicians and other healthcare workers about what travel medicine really is and uh, how it works, what you can expect when you get a travel medicine consult. So um, let's take it from there. Let's first start out with what it, what is travel medicine for? I mean, when do you need to see a travel medicine expert? So let's just be clear. Based on what the CDC recommends, you probably need to see a travel medicine expert if you're going to many of the developing nations in the world. And there's a reason for that. And by developing nations, I mean many parts of Mexico and, and, and Central and South America, uh, as well as Africa, uh, certain parts of the Middle East, and certain parts of Asia. All of those constitute the bulk of where you're going to need to see a travel medicine expert before you go there. The reason for that is there's several vaccines that we give often when people go to developing nations. So, um, and I'm going to go through that. And so you better understand what those vaccines are and why you may need them. But also there is this component of 
prescriptions that you need for some of those locations. And the last component is counseling and advice on how to minimize your risk while you're in these locations. So this would what a travel medicine consult would entail. So if you were going to a developing nation, you would go see a travel medicine expert and their job would be to understand your itinerary, where you're going, and then based on your itinerary and what you're going to be doing and how long you're going to be in one of these nations and which part of those countries you're going to be going to, what activities you're going to be doing. Uh, the travel medicine expert's job is then to come up with a strategy to maximally protect you. And all the things I talked about, which country you're going to, which part of that country you're going to, how long you're going to be there, uh, what kind of accommodations are you going to have? Are you going to be in a hotel? Are you going to be staying with locals? Um, it actually manage, changes your management. The kind of activities, are you going to be staying at, at four or five-star hotels or are you going to be you know, working on you know, um, a medical mission or a church mission where you're going to be more in local communities, uh, maybe out in rural areas, all of that will determine the precautions and vaccines potentially uh, that you may need to take and prescriptions. So let's start off with vaccinations. Certainly before COVID, I think, you know, the idea of a travel medicine vaccine might have been foreign to a lot of people, but I think now we see you know, a little bit with COVID, why certain vaccinations are necessary in certain situations. So let's start off with travel vaccines, like I said. And the first two that I want to talk about are things that have to do with eating. The one thing we know when people travel is no matter what, they're going to eat, right? So no matter what country you're going to, you're not going to not eat, right? You're going to eat unless you're going to pack a bag full of protein bars and you're just going to have protein bars and water, you're going to eat the local food. And there is some risk in certain countries associated with that. And part of that risk has to do with a more global phenomenon. In certain countries, certain developing nations, when someone, let's say, flushes a toilet, that sewer material does not always go to a water filtration plant, okay? Sometimes, either directly or indirectly, that goes back into the water supply. And when that happens and that water is used to grow the food, it can actually somewhat contaminate the food supply. And there's two main diseases that we worry about when it comes to the food supply. One is hepatitis A, and hepatitis A is a virus that infects your liver and can cause jaundice, fever, not a fun disease to have. And then the other one is typhoid. Uh, typhoid, again, is uh, in the food supply and you can get it from eating, and it's a bacteria, infects your colon, can cause bloody diarrhea, fever, occasionally death, and we actually have vaccines for those two. Hepatitis A is a vaccine that all children now get, so if you've been born in the last 20 years, 30 years, you, you know, you probably had both, and if you have that, perfect, but if you haven't had it uh, or you're older, then your travel medicine expert will more than likely recommend you get your hepatitis A shot. There's two of them. One shot will protect you for your trip. You get another shot in six months, that'll protect you for life. So that is hepatitis A, and that's really, really important to, to have if you're going to any developing country. The next one, like I said, is typhoid, and we have a vaccine for that. There's a shot that's good for two years, and there's a pill form that's good for five years. Those you will have to retake if you uh, once the kind of time period ends, if you're going 
back to developing nations. And so uh, both of those, your travel medicine expert should have and go over the pros and cons of each one. So those have to do with eating. There are other vaccines you may need, again, depending on which country you're going to. And I'm not going to you know, specifically go over which vaccine for which country in specific, but in broad strokes, the next main one I want to talk about are things related to mosquitoes. Uh, there are certain mosquito-transmitted diseases, actually three that I want to talk about. Two, we have a vaccine for. One, we give you a medication. So let's talk about, first of all, yellow fever. Yellow fever is a disease that's caused by a virus. It infects your body, your liver. It can cause very, very uh, unpleasant symptoms. Uh, and we have a vaccine for it. You get one shot. It's good for life most of the time. And that will protect you against um, yellow fever. Yellow fever is common in South America and parts of Africa and is transmitted by mosquito bite. Once the mosquito bites you, it actually injects the virus into you. And if you have the vaccine prior to going to these countries, um, then you can actually protect yourself. I'm going to provide a link to the CDC website where you can actually put in the country uh, and see if yellow fever is in that country, especially if you're going to South America or if you're going to parts of Africa. It's really important to make sure. Now, what's interesting about yellow fever, it's actually the one of the very few vaccines that in a handful or a dozen countries or more is actually required for entry. So it's actually the original vaccine passport. People always are having this issue with the COVID-19 vaccine passport. But really, that already exists for yellow fever. So in certain countries, when you show up, you have to show your what's called a yellow card, which actually has documentation that you've gotten the yellow fever vaccine. If you show up to these countries, literally at the airport, and you don't have your vaccine card, they will deny you entry potentially, or they may actually offer you the vaccine right there and then, which is not optimal to be getting the vaccine when you arrive for many reasons, which... Uh, I'm more than happy to address if you if you want to know that in the comment section below. But be that it may, you have to get your uh, yellow fever uh, vaccine if you're going into certain countries. And again, I'll, the link in the CDC can tell you which countries those are, which mandate that you have it. So you don't really have a choice if you want to get into the country. Now, there are other countries where it's not mandated, but of course, it's highly recommended. And by highly recommended, it's almost as recommended as the countries that are mandating them. The countries that are mandating them are trying to protect yellow fever from coming in. So in terms of your health, it may be equally important to get the yellow fever vaccine in countries which may not require it versus countries that require it because requirement and not requirement doesn't mean it's less or more important to you. It's very important to you, even if it's recommended or required. So that's another uh, disease that you can protect yourself with with the vaccine, which is the yellow fever vaccine. And again, it's caused by mosquitoes. The next vaccine I want to talk about is Japanese encephalitis a vaccine. So Japanese encephalitis is a disease that you can catch. It's called Japanese encephalitis, but it's really prevalent in lots of parts of Asia. Again, the CDC website will show you which countries I'm talking about. But that is also transmitted by mosquitoes. So it's again, mosquito will bite you, can cause fever, and you will not potentially feel very well. But the major thing is it can cause inflammation of the lining of the brain and can cause a lot of central nervous system 
disorder, some of it permanent. So you may have permanent brain damage, God forbid, but from this virus. So it's actually in certain parts of Asia, they actually give it routinely to people. Um, but it's really common in rural parts of some of these countries in Asia. And again, I don't want to get into specifics about which country here. But again, if you're going to those countries and you don't have the vaccine, um, it can be it can be bad. So uh, before you go to certain parts of Asia, please, please, please see a travel medicine expert. Make sure Japanese encephalitis vaccine is not one one of the things that you're going to need. Next thing I want to talk about is malaria. Now, most of us know about malaria. It's very common, again, in, in certain parts of Africa and other parts of the world. And malaria is also transmitted by mosquitoes. So here we've got three, three things that are transmitted by mosquitoes. Unfortunately, we don't have a vaccine for malaria mainly because malaria is not a virus or a bacteria, but it's a parasite. And so it makes developing vaccines very difficult for it. As I always say, there's probably a Nobel Prize waiting for someone who can come up with a uh, vaccine for malaria just because it causes so many deaths and illness in developing nations. And it would be amazing to eradicate or get it under control. But we don't have a vaccine. However, we do have anti-malarial medication, which we will give you if you're going to those parts of the world, which you take while you're there. It's interesting because you don't take the medication if you get malaria. You take it while you're there to essentially prevent malaria. And technically, you're not really preventing malaria because if the mosquito bites you and the bug goes inside of you, technically you got malaria. But if you're taking this medication, when that happens, it will kill it and it won't turn into a full-blown disease. So those are the three things you need to be concerned about, again, if you're going to certain developing nations that are transmitted by mosquitoes, right? So we've got yellow fever vaccine and yellow fever disease, yellow fever virus. We've got Japanese encephalitis virus, and we have the malaria parasite. All three of those you need to be really careful. I just want to just touch on other strategies to protect yourself against mosquito transmitted diseases. One, you know, we, we always counsel people to wear long sleeves. Don't wear shorts if you're going to be in these rural areas. So the best you can, maybe, you know, cover your head or the back of your neck, uh, as well as, uh, you know, we have certain mosquito repellents that you can use on your hands and, and certain parts of your face and neck to protect yourself. The strategy is to get the vaccine and to take precautions. If you're staying in certain accommodations, not to leave the window open, using a mosquito net on your bed potentially. If the hotel you're staying is doesn't uh, have you know airtight windows and everything, and so there are other precautions. And this is why you really this is not the kind of stuff that you normally can get from your primary care doctor. You really need to see a travel medicine expert. And you got to be also careful when you see a travel medicine expert that if they really are a travel medicine expert or if they're just handing out vaccines. And I think, you you know, this is why doing your homework. We'll talk about that at the end, how to pick the right travel medicine expert. All right. So we've covered now those. The, the next things I really want to talk about, things that you need for food and things that you need to protect yourself against mosquitoes, is your general vaccines that need to be updated Make sure your tetanus is up to, updated. If you in certain parts, if you haven't had your measles vaccine, uh, to get that your your uh, flu shot, 
And which, which is interesting because people, when they go to developing nations, are really worried about yellow fever and Japanese encephalitis. But still, statistically, the number one thing you're going to catch when you're traveling to developing nations, especially south of the equator, is actually the flu. So getting your flu shot before you travel to developing nations is really important. Part of that is the flu below the equator is not seasonal. North of the equator, the flu tends to be in the winter uh, versus below the equator, it's more year round. And so statistically, you know, you're at very high risk for catching the flu mainly because when you're traveling, what are you going to be doing? You're going to be in buses. You're going to be in crowded airports. You're going to be on airplanes. You're going to be at tourist sites bunched up with a lot of people. So sort of like COVID-19 virus or SARS-CoV-2 virus, you know, the same not socially distancing, which of course now people understand, happens when you're traveling. So the flu, which is very much, you know, transmitted potentially like COVID-19, is going to be an issue. So make sure you get your flu vaccine if you're going to any of these developing nations. The last thing I want to talk about is the meningococcal vaccine, which is a, a bacteria that can affect the lining of your brain. And certain parts of the Middle East, that's really, really important. We also have a polio vaccine that you may need in certain parts of the world if you haven't had the full series. Again, these are things that your travel medicine expert can talk about. So the next vaccine I want to talk about is rabies. Rabies is a very interesting vaccine because most people don't think about it. But here's the interesting thing. In many developing nations, when someone gets a new puppy or dog, even as a pet, forget about even the stray dogs that you see in many developing nations, you know, most people don't take that puppy to the vet and spend two, three hundred dollars giving him shots. They're just not going to often. So the problem really is when you're in developing nations, really any dog can be a risk factor or actually a lot of mammals, monkeys and what have you. All of these animals can be a risk factor. I know a lot of people go to certain parts of the world, they feed a monkey and they get a monkey bite or a dog bite. If you could be sitting at, I'm sure if you've been to developing nations and you've been in an outdoor cafe, literally sometimes a stray dog will go right under your table. It's very, very common. And what happens is a lot of tourists get bitten by these dogs. Here's the problem. If you get bitten by a dog in a developing nation, you have to assume you got rabies. And here's the problem with rabies. Rabies untreated is almost 100% mortality. So you have to get treated. And the real antidote, if you didn't get the rabies vaccine when you get bitten in a developing nation is to to within 48 hours, air vacuum back to someplace in the world that has basically the serum that you're going to need to prevent you from you know, getting rabies. And that's it's almost like a blood transfusion. And a lot of developing nations don't have that. So if you get bitten by a dog, it actually ruins your whole trip because you're going to have to get on a plane, get back to the United States potentially to get this sort of serum to protect you. So the real trick is then to get a host of rabies vaccines before you go to developing nations. And the main obstacle with the rabies vaccine and some of the vaccines is going to be the cost. I'll talk about that again at the end. But assuming cost wasn't an issue, assuming all these vaccines were free, you should get the rabies vaccine depending on what you're going to be doing. If you're going to a meeting in a developing nation where you're working for a bank and you're going to be at the hotel, 
you know, maybe you don't need the rabies vaccine, but if you're going to be out digging wells for a community or doing a church mission and you're going to be literally in the rural areas and going to be, you know, just strolling around, um, you know, again, your travel medicine expert will help you figure that out. But uh, your risk factor for getting a dog bite while you're in a developing nation has to do with a lot of things, including where you're going to be, what you're going to be doing, how long you're going to be doing it. So these are all things that your travel medicine expert will put together uh, to this, to find out if you need the rabies vaccine before you go on your trip. Very, very important. So the next thing I want to talk about is the cost of travel vaccines. Well, so it, Interestingly, a lot of the travel vaccines are not covered by healthcare insurance. Some are, but a lot are not. So a lot of it is uh, out-of-pocket expenses. The other thing about travel vaccines is they often have only one or two manufacturers. And those manufacturers essentially don't have competition, uh, so they can dictate whatever price they want. And when you get some of these travel vaccines, you have to understand the bulk the majority of the cost is going to the vaccine manufacturer, not to the doctor or clinic giving it to you. So it's not like you can shop around for a rabies or Japanese encephalitis vaccine and get it at 70% off you know, at Walmart or something. That's just not going to happen. So the reality is the cost is big. But you know the way you almost have to look at it is if you're going to spend thousands of dollars for a flight and you know maybe $10,000 for accommodations potentially, uh, yeah, it may, it may, you may have to spend you know, $500, $1,000 getting uh, the travel console and these vaccines. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. It depends what you're going to be doing, where you're going to be going. But uh, you should factor in the cost as you're budgeting for your trip. Again, you could call your tra- local travel medicine expert get and get a sense potentially of what it may cost you and budget that into your trip. Uh, again, the, what I always tell patients, if it was free, you should definitely get all of the vaccines and the counseling that the CDC recommends you get and the prescriptions that the CDC recommends you get uh, for your itinerary. So, But factor that into your budget when you're thinking about going on a safari uh, or doing something in, in certain developing nations, okay? All right, let's just talk about some main travel tips when you're going to developing nations. We've covered the vaccine, but I also want to talk to you about just some general strategies. The first thing I want to talk about is this thing called traveler's diarrhea. Traveler's diarrhea is mainly caused by a bacteria called E. coli, and that is from drinking the water, actually. That's is what when people say, yeah, don't drink the water, what they're talking about is traveler's diarrhea. And that's usually a bacteria called E. coli, can affect your colon, can cause really loose, watery diarrhea, like you'll be in the toilet every five, 10 minutes often or every hour. And it lasts up to two to three days. It eventually kind of goes away if you're, in most cases. But it's not fun. And it can certainly ruin your trip. So what we do there is we give you medication to take with you in case you get traveler's diarrhea, then you start it. So it's the opposite of the malaria medicine, which you start essentially sometimes before you even get there, while you're there with the traveler's diarrhea, you take that medicine only if you get traveler's diarrhea. And believe me, you will know when you have traveler's diarrhea. It's 
It's not going to be subtle. So if you get that, you can start on this medication, this antibiotic that we're going to give you, and that's going to shorten the duration. It's not going to immediately get rid of it, but maybe instead of three days, might be one and a half days. It'll certainly make your life easier and maybe get you back on your vacation. So think about that. And uh, the other strategies, obviously, avoid eating something that might be contaminated both for traveler's diarrhea sake and for hepatitis A and typhoid. So obviously, yes, the bottled water, understand that certain salads are going to be washed in the local water. So to the extent that you can avoid any obvious salads. And the best strategy I I can tell you if you're traveling developing nations, if you're going to be eating local food, which you will have to, is to eat things that are piping hot, literally piping hot. If you can't see smoke coming out of it, I'm not sure. Obviously, you you may not have that luxury, but the one thing you know that is heat is going to kill a lot of things. And I know a lot of people travel and they go to uh, to all these carts at the side of the road. You know, whether you're in Thailand or parts of South America, and you see this this guy with a little cart or this lady with a little cart, and it looks like they have some delicious food there. But the question you need to ask yourself is, hmm, I see that chicken, and I see. But does this person look like they have access to a refrigerator? Because where was that chicken last night? And you know, you just have to ask your question that question. So you have to understand when you eat food at the side of the road. And of course, you know, I think a lot of travelers do it anyway. You just have to just be cognizant. If you're going to eat food at the side of the road, just at least the best you can, if it's piping hot, you have a better chance because the heat will kill a lot of potential contaminants, not everything, but it will make it easier depending. And obviously the more cold the food is and the longer it's been there, you run some risks. And so you have to understand that. Uh, The other thing that I really want to tell you is a lot of people, uh, in fact, some primary care doctors tell you to to take Pepto-Bismol with you if you so if you had a, any of these issues with food that actually may not be the right thing to do cuz pepto-bismol it slows the motility of your gut and when you have for example traveler's idea traveler's diarrhea you want to get that stuff out you don't want to slow down the stuff so it just stays in your colon longer it's probably better to have seen your travel medicine doctor and get started uh on a antibiotic made specifically for traveler's diarrhea. So that's a summary of of some of the things that you'll uh, be offered at a travel medicine consult. Uh, You know, you'll be offered vaccines, you know, prescriptions for potentially malaria and traveler's diarrhea, as well as counseling on, for example, what kind of foods to eat. But there's some additional counseling you need to know. It's probably a very good idea to, you know, before you go there, uh, understand where the the best medical facilities are in case something happens. Uh, Statistically, even though we prepare you for all these infectious disease, uh, including the flu, but statistically, most travelers get injured. That's really their number one problem because when they're traveling, they're doing activities that they probably wouldn't be doing at home, jet skiing or motorcycles or what have you. And so, you know, injury by accident and death by accident is probably the most common thing that happens to travelers. So there's some things you need to think about there. One, please, please, please don't be in vacation mode and think that all of a sudden 
uh, even though you sit at a computer 40 hours a week, you're now ready to climb every mountain you see or jump into every lake you see. Uh, just understand that and you know use good judgment uh, because accidents are very, very common. Also, a lot of the roads people take in some developing nations may not be optimal and curvy and windy and other traffic going by you. And you may not be, if you're driving, you may not be used to driving in that country. Uh, all of these things are things that you need to think about. The other thing that if you're uh, traveling is to really be careful of security. Uh, you obviously, for people who in the United States are, you know, if they're going to a certain city and they understand that they have to keep their antennas up depending on which part, uh, which neighborhood they're in or what have you, it's the same thing. You really, if you don't know and you, um, you know, wander into the wrong neighborhood. So really doing your homework. Um, the other thing, you know, I really tell my patients is, you know, don't wear, don't wear jewelry, don't wear nice watches, don't wear a necklace. If you have a diamond ring, you know, for, for uh, maybe not to wear that uh, and and to wear just kind the kind of clothes that doesn't scream out that I'm a tourist. Uh, you know, I know people want to take their fancy cameras and that kind of makes sense, but you got to be, again, very, very careful. The other thing I want to really talk about is insurance. And I'm not talking about healthcare insurance. I'm talking about insurance to get you back. If you land in a developing nation hospital and you are super sick from some of the things we talked about, and you need to be air vacced back to the United States, it can be very costly, you know, up to $100,000 potentially to air vac you back to LA, New York, Miami, uh, depending on how sick you are and what kind of plane they're going to need. You know, there may be a nurse that needs to stay with you. You may need to be on machines and what have you. So there are insurances that you can get that will air vac you back to the United States. The better ones will air vac you back to your actual city. So if you're in Phoenix, they'll air vac you back to Phoenix where your loved ones are. And if you are in, a, you know, in an accident, you need to be in the hospital for another month or two, you know, you can get air vac to a place where you have support. So read the fine print uh, and you can find these online. They're, you know, basically evacuation insurance that will bring you back. That can really almost bankrupt a lot of people if you don't have it. So I would say if you're going to developing nations, think about that. If something happens to you, you know, you rent a moped and something happens to you and you're in some hospital, how are you going to get back to the United States if you're actually need to be in the hospital for a month or two? And you probably, you know, don't want necessarily to get all your care there. Once you're stabilized, you probably want to be air vac back. So that's another thing to think about. So the next thing I want to talk about is how to pick a travel medicine expert. What's interesting is um, travel medicine is is a specialty, but on some level, there is no formal training in most medical schools in travel medicine. Of course, there are courses and books that uh, people can read, uh, healthcare professionals can read, uh, but by and large, it's not as standardized as a cardiologist or pulmonologist or nephrologist. So a lot of times travel medicine is done by RNs and not MDs. Uh, sometimes they are done by MDs. Uh, sometimes they're done by nurse practitioners or PAs. So you you can get the whole variety of people who you might be seeing for a travel medicine consult. 
I think the problem I've seen in the, the industry is a lot of people just equate travel medicine with just getting their travel vaccines. So if you go see as a specialist who says, hey, you're going to the CDC, these are the four vaccines that you need. Do you want them? Yes or no? And doesn't explain them certainly like I just explained them somewhat and maybe even more. Uh, you're probably not at the right place. Because remember, getting the vaccines is only a small portion of it. Getting the prescriptions, the counseling, and fully assessing your risk for you know, these vaccines, not just, not to simply say there's a country, I'm looking at this country in Africa, you need these four vaccines. They need to be asking you, where are you going in that country? What are you going to be doing? What are your accommodations? You know, what are you going to be doing for food? If they don't do a full assessment and just offer you a vaccine, irregardless of what those parameters are, they're probably not doing a full risk assessment. So you really want to go to a travel medicine expert who will do a full assessment of you, which means gathering a lot of information before they give you recommendations. You wouldn't go see a cardiologist who two minutes into the visit starts telling you what you need, right? You wouldn't go see an orthopedic surgeon for your knee and literally you walk in and two minutes later, they're like, these are the things we need to do. So a good travel medicine expert will have a full assessment, understand your medical history, your allergies, what medications you're on, what country you're going to, how long you're going to be there, what hotel you're staying at, what kind of work you're going to be doing, and take all that information and digest it and then give you a proper uh, assessment of what you need to minimize or mitigate all your risk for that itinerary for that trip. So there's so much more to talk about travel medicine, but I think you get the gist of it. You know, I put some of my blog links below. Uh, you're welcome to read some of those. Leave some comments below about the countries you've been to and some of the uh, medical issues if you have or haven't had them. And also let me know what your experience has been. If you've seen a travel medicine expert, what was that like? Did you just get offered a bunch of vaccines in the first five minutes without much explanation? Or did they talk about prescriptions? Did they talk about counseling? Um and go over your full, full profile before they did that. Thank you for listening. You can check out my website, jonathanbakhtarimd.com to sign up for my newsletter. And you can watch this full episode over on my YouTube channel, BakhtariMD, where you can leave questions or topics you'd like me to cover in future episodes. As always, be well. Thank you. <music>